Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for that instructive and invitive song. Because you gave your everything. And Lord, so we come now as a body, this body of Christ, put here in this small town. Lord, to raise a voice of praise to you. And so I pray and ask as we now open your word together and hear what you have written down for us. Things that are true about you. What is true about us. Father, I pray that it would be instructive to our minds, encouraging to our hearts, a blessing to us. Lord, meet us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm turning my Bibles to Daniel chapter 4. If you would join me there. Daniel chapter 4. Beginning with verse 28, this is where we left off last week. Daniel 4, verse 28, why don't you stand with me? All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built for my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever, for His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will, among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and For the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride... He is able to humble. 
You can be seated. <clears throat> Once upon a time, you dressed so fine. You threw the bums a dime in your prime, didn't you? People would call, you'd say, beware doll, you're bound to fall. You thought they were all kidding you. You used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out. But now you don't talk so loud. Now you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging for your next meal. How does it Yeah, how does it feel to be without a home like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? Those lyrics obviously could describe a lot of people. You know, maybe someone who you'd want it to be applied to. But man, oh man, if there ever was a real-life incident behind those words, the fall of Nebuchadnezzar sure fits that bill. He dressed so fine... He ate fine. He was living fine. Hey, maybe he even threw those bums a dime. But as you all know, it wouldn't be long before he would be scrounging for his next meal. right? Without a home. Actually, the fall of Nebuchadnezzar went way beyond the extremity of Bob Dylan's lyrics. right? The king wasn't about to just lose his home. He's about to lose his mind. About to go insane. Now, we'll get to that moment soon enough, but let's just stand on the edge of this for a minute, right? Okay. Do you remember how this all began, how this chapter started? Nebuchadnezzar is the speaker, right? Which really sets this chapter apart from everything we've read before, because he's telling the talk in here. And he says, you know what, i got something to say. And very quickly we realize that this is something very different than what he has said before. And more than an acknowledgement of God's power or His wisdom, more than a, a good impression or, you know, I got some respect now for the God of the Jews, the king's now saying, and by the way, he's saying it to the whole known world, I got to tell you, you got to hear what the Most High God has done for me. He's saying, God changed me. And that's why we compared this chapter of Daniel chapter 4 to almost being like a gospel tract that you would hand to somebody. Think of it that way, like an Old Testament gospel tract that shows us what? How merciful God is even to the most undeserving, right? Those you might call, you know, those blacklisted unbelievers, right? Those we, we mistakenly write off as being beyond Saving grace. Shatter that list. Right? And when some antagonism begins to form in your mind towards a certain person, the moment that begins to, to, to dwell, to circulate in your mind, you need to stop and you say, you know what, I need to remember the grace of God. Because there was at least one man who had not written Nebuchadnezzar off. Right? Daniel. In fact, Daniel and his friends, despite being exiled, that's why they were there, despite being separated from everyone they knew, these guys seemed to grasp the significance of 
being in this Babylonian position. They seemed to get how critical their loyalty to God was. Because by their faithfulness, they became God's representatives to these Gentile nations. Even though their being there was on account of God's discipline. That's why they were there in the first place. They didn't sulk about it. They didn't retreat from it. They understood that it was God. Not Nebuchadnezzar. Who was he? No, it was God that brought them to Babylon. Now get this. Even though years and years went by with no eventful working of God, right? You realize this. Chapter 4 is the final years of Nebuchadnezzar's life. Okay? This means it's more than a decade from that fiery furnace incident. So Daniel's now a middle-aged man, right? And maybe he's wondering, you know, what am I still doing here? Is God still at work? Maybe that's you, right? The middle-aged Christian life, right? You've been in and around the church for some time now. I'm not talking about your age. I'm talking about where you are in your walk and your faith. You know, in your youthful faith, God did some pretty dramatic things, exciting stuff. But now life has taken sort of a monotonous tone, right? Listen, don't mistake the quietness from God as a reason to lose your zeal and to get slack. What this time is about is about developing faithfulness, right? So what was Daniel doing all this time? Well, I know one thing. He was faithful in prayer, right? Daniel's custom was to pray on three occasions every day. We know that because we're going to read about it later in chapter 6. Who do you think he interceded for? Well, I know one man he did. I know at least one man he prayed for, right? The king. But secondly, he was also faithful in his service, right? He showed up for work. He served the king with the best of his God-given ability. And this went on day after day, week after week. Was God at work in all this time? I know you read this book and you get the impression that Daniel's life was like one action-packed sequence after another. Well, that's the book. But all this is is just a few singular incidents spread out over a whole lifetime. And what you don't see are all those years of the nothing, right? Nothing in between. Well, let me rephrase that. Nothing but this. Faithful prayer and faithful service. And what you have is coming out of that was a faithful witness. Because when God did move in an unusual way, He had a faithful witness who was ready. So and last Sunday we observed this, right? Because in this first segment of Nebuchadnezzar's salvation testimony, that's what this is, you have the portrait of a faithful witness, right? You remember this? A faithful witness, first of all, has a tender heart. We saw that in Daniel. Now, he did not rejoice when this judgment was made known about Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't rejoice at the calamity of a sinner. You see that. He, he hesitated to unveil the dream because he knew what it meant. It's the same heart that would lead Paul many years, centuries later to say, you know what, I'm speaking the truth and here's what I have to say. I have great sorrow. I have unceasing anguish in my heart for my brothers. 
Because they're under the judgment of God. I wish I were cut off for their sake. Same tender heart, but with that tenderness, whether from Paul or Daniel, it was also never severed from truth, right? And so you see Daniel giving the king an honest word. Hey, king, about that dream, that tree that's going to get chopped down, that's going to be left as a stump, it's you, right? It's you. And as a faithful witness, you're called not just to be broken over a lost world, but to give them the truth, right? Hey, what good is it to weep over a lost man or a lost woman, but never tell them the honest truth? God's against your pride. He's against your willful rebellion. Proverbs 16, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. And yeah, that's going to offend him, right? Of course it is. Because human nature is arrogant. It thinks itself to be autonomous. It thinks itself all-powerful, capable. But until we get offended, we're just going to continue in that same pride all the way to our own destruction. It takes a faithful witness to bring an honest word. But lastly, Daniel gives the king what? uh, He ends with this. I want to give you a note of hope. Right? That's how this scene ends. You've heard the truth. I've... You know what this dream means, Nebuchadnezzar. But here's my counsel to you, right? Break off your sins and start practicing righteousness. In other words, repent. Make a change of your self-glorying pride. There may yet be, right? There, may, there might be a divine perhaps. In your days, your prosperity might be lengthened. Right? Daniel doesn't presume. He doesn't say, yeah, it'll happen. But maybe. Maybe. Because he knows what? He knows the kindness of God. Remember that in the past, God has at many times relented from bringing about an impending destruction. He did it with Israel in the wilderness. Now I'm about to kill these people. I'm about to wipe them off. I'm going to start over with you, Moses. But he relented. He did it with the Ninevites not long before. Hey, God may yet withdraw His hand from you. But you need to respond. And now we pick up in verse 28, right? And we can examine this second scene of this chapter by two great movements, that's what I'm calling them, okay? That are so extreme, they can only be attributable to God. And in fact, both are attributed to God here in the text. Okay, and the first great movement is the depth of the fall. Okay, so look here, here we are at. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29. At the end of 12 months. Think about that. The end of 12 months. You see, a whole year passed by. Now, some read that and think, well, oh, maybe Nebuchadnezzar did take Daniel's counsel, and therefore his prosperity was extended. Well, but then what? Uh, He retracted? What, he went backwards again? No, I don't think Nebuchadnezzar ever repented at all. You see, as time went by, he became more and more numb, right? The resistant to the appeal that God had made. And maybe he just, well, you know what, I guess it's just a dumb dream after all, right? Nothing's happening. Business as usual, right? Do you realize that's the same thing that people are saying today? Hey, where 
is the promise of his coming. Right? Things have been carrying on this way for 2,000 plus years now. Hey, Jesus isn't coming back. Folks, what I think this 12 months signifies is that God always gives us time to repent. Just like now. What appears to us as slowness, that's how Peter said, he clarifies, is actually God's patience. Not wishing that any should perish. So don't take it for granted. Well, I've been living this way, right? I've been sexually immoral. I've been uncontrolled in my spending. I've been selfishly inconsiderate, rude to my spouse. I've been living as though I'm always right and everybody else is always wrong. Hey, God doesn't seem to mind. No? You don't think so? Hey, turn in your Bibles for a minute to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, beginning with verse 20. See if you think God minds. But I have this against you, right into a church, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, verse 22. I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. Verse 23, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. She said, Jesus said, I gave her time. Now, think about that for a minute. Time to who? Even the wicked, servant-seducing Jezebels, he gives time to repent. Well, you say, well, how much? You know, that's the heart of a rebellion that asks that question. Well, how much time do I got? Enough. So listen now, if you persist in the sin, in that lifestyle, at a time when you least expect it, judgment falls. And you will reap what you have sown. We've read that before, right? That's a principle of the physical and the spiritual world. And do you have any idea the kind of things that is in God's bag of terrors? Or does it, or do you scoff when Jesus says, I'm going to strike your children dead? I take that literally. I'm going to kill your kids. Well, you're about to see another one of them, another terror. God waited for Nebuchadnezzar, and he waited, and he waited to a point. And when he least expected it, right, wham. Look at this, verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, And the king answered and said, so apparently he's surrounded by his royal entourage. Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, right? 
Listen, you can tell by the pronouns where his heart is at, right? Right? His speech reveals his heart was really aimed at self-worship. It's what I have built. It's my mighty power. It's for my majesty. And hey, it's not that it wasn't impressive. Okay? The walls of Babylon were said to be a perfect square, 15 square miles, 350 feet high. You could drive a chariot on top of them with four horses. In the middle of the city was a mountain that he built. He built a mountain for his wife. Men have done stranger things for their wives. To replicate what she, her hometown. Okay. And the hanging gardens he made were said to be an ancient wonder. So it was impressive. No lie there. But notice that he said, and all that he wrote, that he's saying here, it's what, it's by my doing, right? It's by my power, my brains. And it's ultimately for me. And just like that, a voice falls, right? Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, (laughs) there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Now notice the immediacy of the judgment, right? So that was spoken to him in verse 33. Immediately, the word was fulfilled. Yeah. Just as the dream had predicted. The depth, right, of the fall, right? He's driven from among men. He eats grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven until his hair grew long and his nails were like bird's claws. So, one minute, he's like Superman. Okay, The next, he is like subhuman. In seeking glory for himself, God stripped him of every glory he had. His position, his palace, his parade, right? Even the innate glory of him being a man. God brought him lower than a man. Actually, what God did was this. He simply allowed him to become outwardly what his heart had already been inwardly, which was this, bestial. Like a beast before God and men. What a humiliating judgment. Do you realize it wasn't that he didn't know what was happening? He knew what was going on, and he couldn't help it. He couldn't help the fact that he now wanted to eat grass like an ox. So what did he do? In shame and humiliation, he runs off into the thicket, right? He disappears from among men. I don't want to be seen. I don't want others to see me like this. For how long? Get this. It's just seven periods of time. That could mean just an idea of completeness, seven being complete. Most think it's seven years. Now, seven might not seem that long to you until you think what you were doing in life seven years ago. Where were you in life seven years ago? I got married seven years ago. Now, imagine missing those last seven years of your life. Okay, how about this? Imagine what you would look like outdoors on a diet of grass after seven years. 
You know, a similar case of becoming, they call this boanthropy in modern medicine. Become like a cow or an ox. It occurred to an individual back in England in the 1940s. The young man became utterly antisocial, always out in the grass. And among the physical abnormalities, doctors noted a lengthening of the hair and a thickening of the nails. And had it not been treated by the hospital staff, they took care of him, the symptoms, they said, would be exactly as what was described of Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4. Now, what happened to him is really a parable of what sin is and does to all people. Okay, just, just imagine that. Okay, so you get to go and tra- get transported to this time, right? And you get to visit the royal palace, right, and walk around during these years. And then you peer out to the south garden and you see the renowned king on all fours completely out of his mind. And Daniel turns to you and he says, this is the picture of the course of sin. God gives us a glimpse of it through Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation. Sin is irrational. It leads to irrational thinking and living. The New Testament says men and women without God are like unreasoning animals. Even the psalmist confessed. You know, when I was embittered, when my heart was pricked, I was like, I was ignorant. I was brutish. He says, I was like a beast before you. Well, you may not have lost your mind and begin to act like it outwardly, but inwardly, are you like an irrational beast? always fending for oneself, tearing at and into others from some self-worshipping pride. That's the course of sin. But you can humble yourself now. While there's time. And God says, you know what, I'll give you a new heart. I'm going to remove that beast heart from you. I'll give you a new heart. Now get this, in an unfathomable parallel, I can't even compare it, but... Jesus humbled himself to even greater depths than we see here. And it wasn't because he was proud, no. But he did it voluntarily, of his own accord. For what purpose? So he could save us from our pride. And because he was humble, God exalted him, right? And that's because, and this doesn't end here, it doesn't end in the fall. This is just the first great movement, the depth of the fall. But the chapter is not about his fall. It doesn't end there, right? Because God loves, well, because those whom God loves, he chastens, right? And when God bears the arm of discipline, it's not for your destruction. It's for your salvation. So it's not just about the fall, it's about the rise. The fall was for this purpose that you personally, you Nebuchadnezzar, might know. Right? That the Most High rules the kingdom of man. And He gives it to whomever He wants. So, look at how this realization then is depicted. Right? Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, so now he's got the pen back in his hand. Right? He's going to finish this off in the strength of his own voice. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. Right. This is when his restoration begins. 
when his eyes shifted up. Right? Remember this verse? I will lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. This is the mark of true humility right here. It's the direction of our eyes. He's before his eyes were on Babylon, right? In a spirit of pride and self-worship. Now they're holy on God. And in this vision, right, we not only see that we are nothing, but that God is everything. He's everything. And likewise, when we think about ourselves, our exaltation begins when? By we ourselves looking up to Him who is now glorified, Jesus Christ, right? Because Jesus humbled Himself to the point of death, God raised Him up, gave Him the name that's above every name, right? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should should bow, will bow. But bowing now means that you will now be united to Him and lifted up with Him. And look at these two things that happened, right? As Nebuchadnezzar turned his dependence completely to God. Look at this. He says it twice, right? Verse 34. My reason... Return to me. And again, verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me. What he's saying is, I got my mind back, right? My mental faculties returned to me. I think of the Gerasene demoniac. Remember that? After Jesus freed him, the people came and they saw this man who was uncontrolled, right? Couldn't shackle this guy anymore. And now he's sitting clothed. And the text says, in his right mind. The prodigal son, when he finally hit rock bottom, what's it say? That he came to his senses. Right? With his repentance, the course of sin, that path is now reversed. And now he sets out, because you know what I'm going to say, i got to convey, i got to talk with words the praise that is in my heart. So he says in verse 34, I bless the Most High, right? I honored Him who lives forever because His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And everyone on earth, we're like nothing before Him. He does according to what He wants among the host of heaven and among everyone here below. And who can say to Him, what have you done? Not only did his reason return, his mind restored, but his glory gets returned to him, right? His officials come back to him once more. And he says, even more greatness was added to me. And what this is, is a picture of the benefits that God gives those who are humble before him. He just pours it on us. But no longer would these things be a cause for pride. Nope. No way. Because the final word of this man's life, think about it this way. The way he exits the pages of Scripture and history is with the praise of the true and living God. Right? Verse 37. I, Nebuchadnezzar. Now I, right? I praise and I extol and I honor the King of Heaven. For all His works are right and His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He's able to humble. It's amazing, right? The fall and rise of Nebuchadnezzar. And what a remarkable time that must have been for Daniel, right? As long had he prayed for this man. Long had he served this king and grown fond of him. 
And get this, in the last years of this man's life, God transformed him and the two of them. You know what they do? They come together and they write up together this testament of praise. They do a mighty work together, right? Hey, what in the world are we, the redeemed, proclaiming? Now, we got nothing to say? Kanye West has something to say. So what's wrong with my lips, right? God has given you a renewed mind. He's blessed you round about. So some of you, some of you should be composing hymns and songs to God. Some of you should be writing sermons and lessons for God. Some of you should be sharing your testimony, writing it down, publishing it, recounting the deeds that God has done in your life. But whatever it may be, all of y'all should be moved to act. Because you have His Spirit and you have a story. So I want you to answer this question with thought. I want you to answer it with prayer this week. And I want you to come and tell me about it. Okay? How is God moving me? He moved this man to praise his name. Right? As the psalmist said, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let him say it. Right? Say, where do I start? I don't know where to start. Where did he start? It starts with worship. That's where it starts and that's where it ends. Eyes to heaven. That's the turning point. Man, I love this chapter. One day you're going to get to sit down and give a great big hug to Nebuchadnezzar. How about that? Pretty cool, huh? Let's pray. Eyes to heaven. Jesus Christ, you are amazing because you change people. Even the people we least expect. Even me. And I need to remember how great and powerful you are. I'm moved reading this. And I know that you've given then a voice to each and every one here whom you have also redeemed out of their own prison, out of their own beastly heart. You've given them a new heart. A heart that's meant to bless you, to worship you, to find its fulfillment in you. So give them their voice so that they can use the platform you've given them even as King Nebuchadnezzar did, to raise up a shout of joy. You're good and you're worth it. In Jesus' name, amen.